0: We're in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget Quinn, author, is also in the Grotto Pod. We're back in the Grotto Pod as a team. It's been, geez. You missed last week. I was about myself. I was in Texas. Nope, I was oh. in New Mexico. I was oh. on the road when you were recording. Remember, I had to call you? Yes, sir. And I
1: guess do. what? We've known each other two or three years. Mm-hmm. It was the first time we ever talked on the phone. I know. <laughs> and I was in a car. you were driving. I was driving. Larry doesn't like to talk on the phone. He's a texter. You know what? I hate talking on the phone,
0: but I have found recently that if I talk on speakerphone, I hate it a little bit less.
1: Oh, interesting. I Isn't used to that hate weird? speakerphone. I have to, I have to cough.
0: <clears throat> we'll hit the cough button.
1: Okay, maybe you could bongo all for that out. One.
0: Uh, Today, our guest is, I'm going to, oh. I know. I
1: thought of this when I was taking notes. I was like, I hope Larry knows how to pronounce his name.
0: Nick. Mamatis. Mamatis. Greek origin. Mamatas. He might be first generation American. Maybe. We'll ask him when he gets here. Uh, If you have not heard of Nick Mamatis.
1: He's one of the biggest writers we probably have.
0: (laughs) I know. If you have not heard of Nick, it's because you are not in the, um,
1: World, the, the horror core comp- Yep,
0: sci-fi. Sci-fi realm, although I'm going to venture a guess that once Nick gets in here, I'm almost afraid to use those terms, those labels, because I think it might insult him a little bit. Why? Because I think uh, everything I've read about him uh, goes to great pains to say he is not only influenced right. by writers in those right. genres and that... His work is not limited to those shows. Oh,
1: well, that's pretty clear because he draws on people like Jack Kerouac and mm-hmm. I think Frederick Engels. My,
0: maybe? <laughs> Lewis Carroll, J.D. Salinger, Harlan yep. Ellison, Mishima. That's what I got, oh, got yeah. uh, from a couple articles. Uh, but H.P. Lovecraft is his guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm Think that if you write in something other people consider a genre, that can feel really limiting.
0: Yeah, but I did read an interview where someone asked him to describe his work, and he said it's genre fiction. Yeah, so I like genre. The fiction. genre, I, it could be a number of genres,
1: right? Which and, is pretty cool.
0: And it, well, we've had a couple of uh, uh, thriller, like mystery writers yeah, in here before. For sure,
1: this is the first. Uh, you know, we've never had a hmm. romance novelist. That is true. I would like to find someone. If you are a romance novelist and would like to be on The grottopod, Pod, contact us. At grottopod at gmail.com. Yep. Or just hit us up on Twitter at The Grotto
0: Carry on. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this list of novels and rather
1: than name them all. I know. He's very prolific. I need to find five, six, out about seven, that. Although, got, Larry, I've been very prolific lately myself. <laughs> like <laughs> 10 novels prolific? No, like 1,000 words a day prolific. Ten novels in the last fifteen years, and what? Oh my
0: god! One, two, three books of short—actually, four, counting his new book of short stories. That's not
1: even his full-time job. He's an editor as well.
0: He is an editor for Viz Media. (gasps) Oh my
1: god, Viz! Huge. A certain part of our audience just went, "Oh my god!" I know. My son learned to read from Viz Media. He is also, uh,
0: you know, I want to get to the bottom of this because I read on his Amazon page. He says, "Editor of trade books for Viz Media," and Japanese sci-fi and books associated with Hayao Miyazaki's studio.
1: So do you think, he, I think he's an editor? You think he might be a translator, right? He
0: might be both, yeah. actually. We're going to find out. Uh, he has written five nonfiction books. He has written poetry books.
1: I just can't he is an editor. even he is imagine how cool all this is.
0: A bunch of stuff, and it's uh, I'm really excited to have him here because it's a bunch of stuff that flies under the radar in this here grotto universe.
1: Yeah. I have to say, though, if – when I was, say, 14, 15 years old and first had this idea like, oh, secret passion, I would like to be a writer – What he represents is what I would have had as my greatest um, goal. Your goal would be this guy. Yeah, Um, completely. I'm interested. Right in the time.
0: You know what's interesting? Well, you can be the judge of this. Okay, yeah. But
1: I sort
0: of note that a writer of this sort of fiction, whatever that is, uh, this sort of invented worlds type Mm -hmm. of fiction. Yes. When you read about influences, you read more about him as a reader, as a young person.
1: I think that's important.
0: This is what he was reading and yeah. this is what had all these impacts on him. Then then if you get like a literary fiction person in here, you won't – oh, yeah, they were reading a ton of Raymond Carver and that really
1: – No. They entered Raymond Carver's I don't believe it. extended universe
0: of <laughs> – But you
1: never read fiction, uh, science, science fiction, right? Not a sci-fi guy. What, you read sports
0: stuff. I read sports stuff. I was just, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking the first book that I remember reading I stole off my grandparent's shelf. What was it? It was a Harold Robbins book. It was, Holy it, shit. It was dirty.
1: That is so naughty. It was naughty. A
0: stone for Danny Fisher. And it wasn't oh, that dirty, actually. It was early Harold Robbins, so it wasn't super dirty. But the
1: first adult book I remember—not that kind of adult book—that yeah. I remember reading was also stolen off my grandparents' shelf, and it was James Michener's Hawaii. Jeez, and um, I think I was dense. like ten or eleven. It's not that dense; it's just long. Is that what you mean by dense? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's I was, it was daunting. I guess is so the word I'm for. into it, I could not put it down.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I rode right through a stone for Danny Fisher. And I later bought it somewhere for like a buck.
1: <laughs> I uh, I first encountered Harold Robbins. Harold is the first name.
0: Uh, yes. Or is that an actor? Yeah, I think it's Harold Robbins. I just yeah. said it so we can rewind.
1: Um, on. Was in Norway. <laughs> and well, he wrote all, some pretty racy I stuff. Thought they were so racy, and it was the only things in English. Oh, I had man. no idea what they were, and started reading them. I was like, Oh, oh. my lord! I mean, they were porn. They're porn. Not those Not this. This was not okay. porn. Okay, no, okay, no, this not was noted. like
0: hard boiled. Oh it yeah, not no, no. the stuff, stuff
1: I read was like definitely. I mean, I yeah, read we, it, and I'll say it that stuff. Oh yeah, that was smart. We more than you and I, you think?
0: More than my. <laughs> you think he got to choose where he was? Did you live? get
1: the grotto? Uh, the grotto survey that went around. I saw it. I did not take <gasps> it, but I'll tell you, you why off camera. It. Okay.
0: But we got to cut because we are up against time for uh, Nick Mamadis okay. to show up. So let's uh, go. Perfect. Hey, I just got the text. Wow! Look at you. All right, let's go get him. Okay. Ready? Airplane We're rolling. Mode. Oh, we are on airplane mode. We have Nick. Pronounce your last name, please. Mamatas. Mamatas.
1: We did it again. We did, or didn't we did. do it again, as the case may
0: be. <clears throat> Welcome, Nick, to the Grotto Pod, home of mispronunciations. Um, <laughs> why don't you tell our audience what you just told us about? The this is the Pod. best
2: podcast I've ever been on. Yeah. yeah. There's a yes. studio. There is more than one microphone. There is yes. a, a board of potentiometers. It's amazing. Well, Usually is? podcasts are uh, little volume thingies. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Volume yeah. Thingies. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Um, well,
1: podcasts are usually like someone on their iPhone. That's right. Yeah. that's amazing Not to us. me
0: because I have done, um, I have done a podcast on my Zoom. Mm-hmm.
2: You know the little recorder guy, sure. but it was just me. I've never even thought you could just do it on your phone.
1: Oh yeah, I think people do that a oh, lot. Yes. Wow.
2: I was texting my friend before saying I'm going to this podcast. What do you mean? She said, "What do you mean going to a podcast?
0: I know.
1: <laughs> we don't ever Skype. If you want to be on the Grotto Pod, you got to come here.
2: No phoners. Yeah, that's
0: we right. made that decision pretty early just because uh, I like the intimacy.
1: It's yeah, and there's three of us. It's hard to. It's a small
2: closet. It is very intimate. Yeah, it's, it is it's very high ceilings yeah. though. You have to yeah. admit. Yeah. 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 It makes Just it like weird. an elevator shaft. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it is. It is a little like an elevator. Well,
0: Nick, so um, we were doing our research yesterday, and I have to say, I think you're the most prolific author ever to step
2: into the Grotto Pod. Mm-hmm. To what?
0: What's your engine, man?
2: Where does the motor come from? You know, I'm actually not that prolific. It's uh, it's a matter of uh, context. Right. To my friends who write literary fiction, I am unbelievably prolific. Correct. To my friends who write genre fiction, I am lazy.
1: What? Okay, wait a second. So
2: why is there a difference?
1: How much more could you publish as a genre writer?
2: Um, I have friends who publish two novels a year. Holy You're about one a year. I'm, I'm about one, one book a year. One, yeah, one something yeah. a year. One something with my name on it a year. Mm-hmm. My last novel came out in 2016. One will come out in 2019. This is considered outrageously slothful.
1: Now, oh, my. To, I'm, like, so I, almost
2: i sorry. Yeah, your, your laziness
0: is insulting. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just I to get off like track just for a second, then, the, the book of short stories, mm-hmm. which I wrote down the name, People's Republic of People's, Everything. Yeah. Yes. Are you working on short stories concurrently with working on novels and nonfiction
2: and whatever else you're doing? Um, I mostly write novels when I have no choice. So, so usually you need I, the money? My preference is short <laughs> fiction and short nonfiction, short subjects in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, when most often when somebody comes to me and says, we have an idea for you, how about this? Then I'll write a novel. Yeah. yeah. Or if I come up with – I mean I wrote one novel, um, Love is the Law, based on a joke I told my agent at the time. Wow. And she's like, well, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> and and, and, and extended to novel
1: length. That's the, why yeah. I said wow. Is that almost always when you say to someone, "I have this like small idea or whatever," mm-hmm. I have this mm-hmm. great idea. There, my most usual response from people is that's an article.
2: Yeah. yeah well, exactly. so be it's a short novel. It's fifty thousand words. Although that's again, yeah. in genre fiction, not eighty five thousand words. <laughs> not the same character twice a year for fifteen years.
1: Oh right! So, oh really? Yeah. But you don't have you don't have repeating characters. No, yeah. I, I kill everybody so, at the end of every book. It's okay, like very well done. Yeah. Well done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you should have given that away. So. <laughs> Great, everyone dies. Um, it worked for something experience. you just said. Just sort of stuck into my head. You said people come to you with an idea, and mm-hmm. I actually read you said that in an interview as well. Yeah. That kind of turns my world on its head. Yes, a publisher will come to you with an idea, mm-hmm. and they say, "We've got an idea. Let's get Nick." That's right. Mispronounced last name. Mamatas. Mamatas. Mama it is mo- so much more that, lyrical. That, I, know, than yeah. I like to say that. Um, so let's get Nick. He's he's
2: reliable. He's our guy. Boom, go. <laughs> and I'm not even that reliable. That's the amazing thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but compared to those other losers, compared to like... other people, uh, you know.
2: Well, I can do something different. Basically, what I do is um, this is why I suspected when I walking down here that oh, this is going to be about genre versus literary fiction. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Which, think well, it, not even it, but yeah. versus, but here's the here's yeah. the uh, right. Yeah. The dialectic of it is yeah. that I write genre fiction in a literary mode. Mm-hmm. I don't mean better or that kind of thing. I mean yeah. short. And kind of casual and uh, interested in interiority and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So that's why I'm not reliable. And that's why I'm not prolific.
1: (laughs) So who's your audience? Who are your readers? Do you know? Is there like a demographic? You're like, these people are my people.
2: You know, once upon a time, I don't know how true this was. This might have just been a weird blow off. Um, Someone said that my, this is a publisher. Someone Mm -hmm. said, based on the gap between returns and sales and Missing books that uh, people who shoplift books are my are my. Oh, audience.
1: but those are real readers. Exactly. That's
2: right. The people who read anything. Oh, the, the, like the high school dropout who oh. is actually a genius. Yeah. Because, he, but he just dropped out because he's reading a book all the entire time. <laughs> you know, that's the audience. People are like, oh yeah, Kerouac. Oh, and Lovecraft. Finally, in the oh, same totally. book. I'm telling that's you, that's what I want. You know,
1: I, I, I wish you were older than me yeah. because well, you were my. I'm how old, Fifty. How, how okay old you? i am forty six okay right, so, not so bad there you go so but uh, you were what I was looking for when I was in high school mm-hmm. as a reader as yeah, a reader yeah. that's what I was looking for, and it kind there were some kind of a little bit a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of the science fiction then was so it seemed so polar, like total crap mm-hmm. or so high concept yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted something in between.
0: Things are occurring to me so quickly, I have to remember to keep them in okay, order Okay, keep talking. <laughs> I, you talk now. So backing up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going take off
1: my jacket.
0: When uh, you were talking about a literary approach. Yes. When you do something like take – A Lovecraftian story Mm -hmm. and write it in a Jack Kerouac voice. So cool. Uh How does that occur to you? Do you think this would be a fun exercise? Well, that was
2: also kind of a stolen idea. Mm. Um, A friend of mine uh, named Joy Brozek, a writer, and now she works for uh, Yelp, I think, in New Orleans or one of those. Review everything places. And she's like a big wheel there. Um, it was really cute and she was in a bar one day and she was writing her journal, she was writing her notes or something for some book and some guy came over to her and said oh I'm a writer too and he was not <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but he was giving his effort, she was trying and, and she finally saw, she called him and I said well, what are you writing now? and he said well, um, I don't know maybe it's like Jack Kerouac's On the Road meets Surreal Realism and, I, so and she told me the story, I'm taking that that's going to be mine, <laughs> that's really that's good. mine now and I, said, well, and I thought to myself what's Surreal Realism? I said well Lovecraft yeah. fits that mode because right? he's Combined science fiction that he has a, mechanic, mm-hmm. a mechanistic belief in how the universe works. He's not, he's not religious. He's not uh, interested in the supernatural per se. But things that are alien and uh, extra dimensional seem uh, like they're supernatural. So mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of one of the themes of Lovecraft's work, that, mm-hmm. that the primitives think something supernatural is actually scientific. But it's so incredibly overwhelming that we can't possibly understand it anyway.
0: That sounds like a, yeah. a, a road that leads you to think that computers actually are magic.
2: Yeah, or vice can, versa.
0: Yeah, yeah, the magic is mm-hmm. computers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you're you're a guy basically who can take an idea and run with it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right, it, like unspoil the whole novel from that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Has that always been the case? Have you? Al- had were you with that here. kid? Yeah, we're going to go back there because I want to find out. Um, what in mm-hmm. your childhood? I know you're you're a Long Island guy, right?
2: Uh, Long Island and Brooklyn. Well, which is also part of. Long Island, but not. Is That's true. one of those oh, yes, horrifying I mean. things yeah. that you have to explain to people over and over again. Yes. You can't
1: just say Brooklyn. I bet it's, like, really not okay to say Brooklyn if you're really from somewhere else on Long Island. That's like right. East
2: yeah. New York type of Long Island? Uh, Port Jefferson, which is on the North Shore. Right. Um, the ferry is there. It goes to Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Yeah.
1: Oh. Oh, total bona fides right there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw a spike
2: of Bensonhurst. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but...
0: Is this a consistency in your life? Obviously, you were a Lovecraft guy growing mm-hmm. up. What appealed to you as opposed to – we were talking about the books we first read in our, in our intro, like what we read first. And it's always revealed that I read a lot of sports biographies growing up, which mm-hmm. isn't the greatest bona fide. Is that how you say it? Not bona
1: fide? I don't – I have no idea. I have no idea. Although I did take three years of Latin in high school.
0: Nice. And I did also posit that it seems like for people working in genre fiction, what they read as kids impacted them a lot more than people trying to write literary fiction. It's not like, you know, I created an entire world based on Raymond Carver. Right. You know, so what were you reading and at what point did you decide you wanted to turn around and start writing it?
2: Well, it's that's. I mean, that's sort of the important thing that always comes up in writing. What did you read? Everybody reads the same things as kids because you're given books as kids. You you don't buy them. So here you go. Here's you're Nancy Drew, here's, you know, Russell Hoban, here's whatever. And... Uh,
1: Thumbs down to Nancy Drew. And then the question
2: is, why do you stick with it more than what? why do you yeah. find science fiction? inside yeah, yeah. science fiction, people are like, oh, when did you start reading science fiction? When I was right. a kid, when my parents gave me some.
1: Oh, your uh, parents gave you science fiction? That's oh, sure, that's not yeah, more happened. or less. Yeah. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. when, you were, when
2: you were a little smarty-ass kid oh, yeah. uh, growing up and the Space Dolls happening and Star Wars is happening and... Oh, uh, so good. You know, my father's from Greece and uh, he was mechanically minded. He was a diesel mechanic. So they, they thought, how are we going to get this kid some oh, money? Oh, yeah. Um, so give them scientific Tur- things. Turn them into an engineer. Spaceships, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I got a drafting board and you yeah. know, a, a T-square and a triangle. <laughs> <Yeah>. I was <laughs> working on that. Then, of course, computer-added drafting came out, entirely used to skill. <laughs> Same thing with my mother. Oh, you got to learn how to type. If you know, if you know how to type,
1: right. you'll have but a job all the time.
2: that's true. And I was I've, the last person to take a typing class <laughs> in my high school before computers came in. But
0: I'd like to interject. Yeah. I always say that typing was the most valuable class I ever mm-hmm. took. It's helped so much. I
1: was never a – I worked in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I made my living typing before yeah. computers.
2: Yeah. I was a two-finger typist always. Yeah. So I never mm. worked out. But not
1: now because now you've got to write a book a year, dude. You've got to type.
2: I, I refuse to write a book a year. I'll, I'll, put, toge- <laughs> I'll put together some kind of book-shaped okay. object every year. Okay, okay. <laughs> but to get back to the question is it- – you know, I, I still moved away from science fiction. I spent my 90s reading Kathy Acker and uh, mm-hmm. downtown New York oh, things still, like that. But still, and then,
1: Experimental. Yeah, exactly. That's, so, that's
2: what I was interested in, in, in yeah. as a kid, as a young person in school yeah. and whatnot. And I went to the new school. This
1: explains a lot. Yes.
2: Uh, all of this And the 90s which was all, everybody's talking about theory and postmodernism. I was reading all that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yanaway. <laughs> I'm yawning. <laughs> <laughs> and so going to a place like St. Mark's Bookstore, which had William Gibson next to the I Foucault. lived on that block. Exactly. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to live on Rivington Street, uh, so I used to walk up there all the time. But and yeah, Foucault was so, everything. Yeah. yeah. So that was basically what what was it, you know, what downtown New sense. York bookstores and zines and magazines that would combine these things. You know, you would find Lovecraft and Philip K. Dick mm-hmm. being written about or drawn about in little fanzines. Uh, Remember those research books? Oh, yeah. yeah. That mm-hmm. was the first time I read Oh, them. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I love those. I know, yeah. so did I. I was they were from here. Yeah. Yeah, they are from SF, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah but
1: that yeah. was the first time I read love, Lovecraft and it blew my mind.
2: Yeah. So I had all that in the background, both experimental postmodern fiction and postmodern ideas and left ideas and genre fiction and science fiction. And when it came time to decide I wanted to be a writer, which basically I said, I want to work from home.
1: Yeah. What can I possibly do that to
2: work so from home? Good. Everyone in their goals. Yeah. Who was it? Doshka Slater said, I want uh, to own a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. That was a good one, too. <laughs> work from home. though. That's yeah. that's an awesome yeah.
2: goal. And I looked at the writer's guide and literary journals pay two copies. And Correct. <laughs> Science fiction <laughs> magazines and fantasy magazines and horror magazines pay three cents, five cents, ten cents a word. So, the, but they paid. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh! You're yeah. the
1: first person I think we've interviewed who made a like a, a practical possible <laughs> choice. <laughs> yeah.
2: Although, as far as it goes, it's the least practical possible. Oh, we're going to write short stories. I know, but that's but, 10 right. cents but you're
1: making money off uh, making yeah. something. I mean, Absolutely. short stories. Otherwise, there's nothing right exactly. And, yeah. uh, and
0: that was the unwavering goal. You were going to do this.
2: Yes. There and was what no happened backup next. plan. <laughs> No, there was no backup plan. I, I, my previous job was I was a gaffer
0: oh, in okay.
2: uh, film and video sets. And in uh, the mid-'90s, that kind of went away in New York because of the uh, economic crisis and the union busting and that sort of thing. And Great. so I wanted to work from home, <laughs> and I started doing that. I started writing term papers.
1: Yes, let's yes.
2: dive into
0: that.
1: I don't All know right. if you got to that <laughs> in your
2: research. But that
1: was – That must have changed a lot. Well, uh,
0: my, what I was going to say was yeah. that – The article you wrote seemed to have a pretty big impact on putting you on the map. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that, how it came to be and where the
2: article showed up and the response. Um, I was writing term papers for probably longer than I should have because it's it's fast money. As opposed to good money, it just sounds and, awful. And, <laughs> and once you get to the hang of it, it's pretty easy. To but do. of course, yes.
0: but I guess it gave you it gave you a
2: sense of people coming to you with an idea and saying That's write right. something exactly. And it taught me Rip how to write quickly, multiple daily deadlines. So it was right. in the way it was the practice that I got that people in the fifties would get when they write pornography, right? Mm-hmm. Write these cheap stroke novels and then learn how to be a writer that way. Mm-hmm. So it was handy in that. And how long did you do it? Oh, probably about eight years. Eight oh, years. Whoa. Yes. For kids
0: at New York schools,
2: kids all over the country. Oh, yeah.
0: How did you? How did you? Uh, I, had
2: bro- uh, with bro- I had a broker. I had a broker oh my God. who uh, you know, took the risk of taking credit card numbers and trying to get the kids to explain their assignment, which is very difficult because a lot of them were not. Yeah, other not, not college and material. And you have to
1: be kind of careful not to make them too good.
2: Yes, that was I would a, think. that was definitely a problem. I would. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> As you, the essay took place in the smart set. is published in the smart set. It's called uh, "The Term Paper Artist," and in it, Good I title. explained that uh, I would often get the subject header "dumb dumb client," <laughs> dumb client, <laughs> and the email <laughs> describing the term paper work. So anyway, I moved out here. Wow! And I got into a fight with the uh, broker's assistant. When the broker was away in Thailand and on vacation, because he
1: he made the big he made the big bucks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And I said, "Oh, how can I get my revenge?" And I said, "I will expose the business." And so I wrote this essay and put it up. Uh, I sold it to the Smart Set, and it took off. And I got onto NPR. I was called a I whore do. and on the media. Really? Yeah. I, I was like, yeah, this does
1: sound vaguely familiar to me. Yeah, yeah. I wonder <laughs> if I could have... You know, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to close the door more tightly. Sure. Oh, I can it?
0: hear Water. people out there. Yes, they're having lunch loudly. So the the funny thing is yeah. by doing that and by having to write below your ability, yes. you were writing in voices, basically. Exactly.
2: You were writing in assumed, voices. And assumed a mm-hmm. kind
1: assumed, of character.
2: Yep, assumed characters, assumed positions that I didn't have. I mean, that's one... Big issue with science fiction, it can also be didactic. Right.
1: Even mm-hmm. if it's satirical. Very much, yeah.
2: It can very much. Let me tell you how, how you should operate things, kids. How You should used to be polyamorous and love redheads or, <laughs> or, or, or like, like Heinlein or whatever. <clears throat> and what makes something worth rereading is when it has two ideas, not just one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And what makes something reading as an adult as opposed to a kid who's open to anything is having two or three or four ideas
1: right and yeah. not uh you know reaching after oh, what is that what is that phrase reaching after consistency something blah 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 i don't know negative mm. capability it's uh, keats nice yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. i can't remember though can't remember. look
2: that up at home yes yeah, so yeah. so you guys can podcast. just google yeah. it
1: um, i can't because my phone's <coughs> on airplane mode i have a question having mm-hmm. having first having immigrant
2: parents mm-hmm. uh
0: english probably wasn't their first language well my
2: father was an immigrant my mother was a greek american
0: Okay, because I was wondering how, how hearing that around the house, hearing heavily accented English, you're mm-hmm. hearing Greek around the house, yeah. how that impacted your grasp of vocabulary.
2: Pretty good because yeah. it, Greek is one of the fundamental languages that goes right, right. English. So I did really well in school and did really well in science. And when I talked to somebody, they talked about their medical conditions like, oh, you have a kidney problem. Well, how do you know? <laughs> oh, because <laughs> because it's,
1: yeah. Because, yeah. oh, right. you know, you're a nephrologist, so You must probably be did yeah. really well in the SAT. Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. You so that it. was handy in a lot of ways, and I don't speak Greek very well, mm-hmm. and uh, my parents are from an out-of-the-way island called Ikaria, um, and, of course, all their slang is frozen in the early 70s. Right. Which That's is awesome. awesome. Exactly. So if I go to Greece, I'm like, oh, can I dig it, y'all? That's what I sound <laughs> like to them because of the, the combination like being in the equivalent of Alabama and a yeah. hippie. <laughs> <laughs> and then just materializing in Athens, exactly. In front but of them, there's
1: yeah. a novel in that, I
2: think. Yeah, it comes up in a couple of short stories okay, in uh, the People's Republic as well. That's
0: yeah. <laughs> <So> awesome. <laughs> so at some point you got an MFA.
2: Yeah.
1: How about that?
0: So what were you writing in your MFA program?
2: I was writing whatever whatever I was already writing because okay. I was published already. Oh, that's right. And I had the dumb idea saying, oh, if I get an MFA and all of my publications, I'm going to be a teacher, which is not the case. Uh, it's not? It is not because the case. Because they don't want
1: genre fiction?
2: Um, That's part of it, although that's changing. What you I didn't think. realize coming from a working class background until I actually got to the school and read – um, um, a book by Cass Fleischer, who was one of the faculty members at the time, called Tell- Telling Tales at a School or Something. She had a similar problem. She's like, oh, you go to a school of, so- of a certain level, you can only teach one lower.
1: Right. And so right, I went right. to a
2: low-level school, Western Connecticut State University. It was a new program, oh, a state me. university not known for not having a pedigree, having, having no famous graduates. So you weren't going to get placed. So I wasn't but what about get the People placed. who
1: get jobs without an MFA. That has to happen.
2: Um, not as much as I used to. I know. That's probably and, true. And often it depends on, uh, oh, I, I met you at this residency. Was, yes, exactly. And you were really cute. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a literary journal, and I'll publish you, and you'll publish me. And now right. we have enough publications to get tenure. Right. This is great. Right, yeah. right,
1: right. There's right. a lot of that. Just, oh, I know. <laughs> not just turn
2: papers. You're blowing the lid off. <laughs> that's maybe. right. I mean, I'll give you one lower. example. I applied for a job at an MFA program, and it seemed like I would at least get an interview because the guy who was running it told me, oh, I read an article you wrote in the Writers' Chronicle, which is the AWP's. Yeah. Oregon about teaching genre fiction and low residency MFA programs, and I went to our dean, like and this is what rate. informed the program. I said, listen, "Listen, these people are doing it; we should do this." I said, oh, great! I, I created your program. Basically, I, I'm going to yeah. get an interview. Nothing.
0: Oh, when
2: was this? 2011. Okay, yeah. oh, so it was recently, <laughs> relatively recently. Yeah, because
0: I feel like I feel like when I was in a graduate program mm-hmm. in the 90s. Yeah that story seems like it would
2: have happened. It seems like now
0: genre fiction is no longer frowned
2: on. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. The, the issue was finally with that was I was called yeah. in to to be a name on a list so they could hire some other genre writer that was a friend of. Oh, the, right. Yeah. right, 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 So okay. they can say, well, I can't just give it to my best friend. Look, I, I looked at these seven other people here too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, think like that's, a, I think that's just how it yeah, is across exactly. the board. Exactly,
2: that's the way it goes. Um, and it would have been fine except that I had, you know, sort of inspired the program in the first place with yeah, this article. super irritating. You would think I would, you know, give me a phone call, right? Give yeah. me a phone call. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <clears> yeah. And by- many people have
2: stopped and So if that was two thousand eleven, when did you move out here? I moved out here for the second time in two thousand eight. Oh. I was here for one year in two thousand four, two thousand five. I liked it, but I was lured back to the East Coast via love. That did not work out six months later. Then I Larry knows about that. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Then I moved to Boston because there was trains and buses, I don't drive. Oh, uh,
1: whoa, It whoa, is hard whoa. to do laundry whoa.
2: in uh Vermont. You still don't drive? I still don't drive, yeah.
1: That always fascinates me. It's so New York.
2: Yeah, it's very
1: New York. It's <laughs> <laughs> very New York. And like, now not, it doesn't matter though. Yeah,
2: exactly. Especially now with exactly. Lyft, I can, I can finally move anywhere. I can finally get my laundry done. if I, I thought my Florida. kids are going to be
1: the last ones that are driving. Yeah, probably.
2: Well, you just get a self-driving car at that point. I know. I'm right. waiting for one. I, I definitely.
1: I love told it. my daughter she has to know how though, and stick too, because what if the zombie apocalypse comes and you're like the one of the few people who knows how to drive, and a you car? can't get
0: to Costco in time? Right. Because <laughs> that's where I'm going to want to be in a zombie apocalypse. They I'm, got everything.
1: I'm going to go to the church.
0: They don't. Do they have concrete walls at the
2: church?
1: Yeah, hello, mm-hmm. Stone. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> Pick the right church. None of, none of these storefront churches. Some old no, church. No, no, no. I'm yeah, talking – Greek this Orthodox is exactly church. exactly yeah. what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, so actually I had the timing all wrong. I didn't realize the MFA was a later in career type yeah. of thing. I know yeah. I had read you had been published before. but mm-hmm. So at this point, uh, you thought you were going to switch switch gears and become – go into academia. Yeah. That didn't happen.
1: So no. you went
2: back to what you were doing already. Well, then I got a job out here. I got a job in publishing. Tell us a little oh, bit about wait, that job part. because we were unclear. Yeah. Um, I work for a company called Viz Media. Oh, yes. I know which all about right it. Which is right down the block. I know mm-hmm. all about it. Maybe a mile and a half down the block. I walked here. It's, um, it is? Mm-hmm. I did not know Yeah, this. It's in the Twitter building. It is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they primarily do manga, which is Japanese comic books.
1: Darling, I have a 20-year-old. <laughs> oh, there you go. And
2: yeah. I know everything about I Viz bet. Media.
1: More than I need to know, honestly. Yeah. Same, same here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I am the non-manga editor. So we, I edit... Um, our science fiction line, Hikosuro, uh and also things like art books for Studio Ghibli, which is the Hayao Miyazaki mm-hmm. and his associated filmmakers, and occasional other non-manga prose books. So there are tie-in novels for manga and uh, sports biographies. Hey, there you go. Yeah, we're doing one for Shinsuke Nakamura, the famous professional wrestler. Don't you know better that get is. that one. Yeah. yeah. Did My son
1: know? learned to read from this manga. <clears throat> yeah. You don't
0: translate,
1: though.
2: No, I hire okay. translators, and I treat them as though they are the author. Because you can yeah. ha- have a knack for translation, but not have the novelist year. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And for doing mm-hmm. contracts or even video games or to a certain extent, even manga, it's a little bit easier to do a 20,000-word text than an 85,000-word text, let's say. And it's a little easier when there's a lot of visual information in the panels right. as opposed to Correct. someone right. explaining how a spaceship works right. in pure prose. Using Japanese technical language from 40 years ago. Right. Mm. OK. So, so it can be challenging along several times. <coughs> What it qualifies you talented. to do that job? Right. Uh, my background in science fiction, and I helped, co- I co edited a magazine called Clark's World for a couple of years, and we got a Hugo nomination. Uh, the Hugo is the big science fiction I award. I know what the Hugo yeah, is. I know what yeah. the Hugo is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big deal. And I also have an MFA. And Japanese companies like educated people. Hey. Yeah.
1: So in this case, so it so worked out the, so great. It yeah, actually did work out. Right, I bet yeah. your job sounds much better than teaching at a yeah. university.
2: I thought that often. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's so great. <laughs> and it sounds more
2: stable. Yeah.
1: yeah. Wait, I have a question though. So you are a full-time editor, mm-hmm. and you're writing this much. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of feeling uh, bad for myself about myself right now. So talk to me.
2: It's How actually do you do easier all this? when you have a full-time job to write. Oh,
1: it is? Yes, Because when I
2: was a full-time freelancer, even when I was getting past the term paper business and publishing regularly, it's still, how do I get 50 bucks to pay the electric bill? Yes. What can I do right this second to get the 50 bucks? Right. Yeah. There is a little bit of of – Oh, the paycheck's coming next week. Oh, yeah. Never or whenever. Well, what do do you mean next week? Right. Well, we cut it to the day. This
1: time next year,
2: next week. (laughs) Or even very basic things like – you put it in the mailbox. Which mailbox? The one outside your building or the one inside your building? Right. You put it Friday afternoon or Friday morning? Right. Because oh, that yeah, depends yeah. whether I get it Tuesday or Wednesday. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yesterday
0: exactly. we were texting and Bridget said, I just got paid for something I wrote in what was it? April. April. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait, you got paid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations.
1: <laughs> I was happy.
0: Uh, one of the things we talk about to people, to writers with full-time jobs though is if They think it's easier to have a job that's related to writing and then go home and write Mm -hmm. or if it would be better to have a job in a grocery store and then go
2: home and write. What's your experience? Do you come home inspired, ready to go? I often fantasize about getting a job in a factory or a grocery Mm -hmm. store, although ultimately it's not the case that it's going to be better is my my thought. Um, Yeah, I don't think so. Because I can take a longish lunch. I'm doing bookish things. I know bookish people now. Right. You know so the skills your imagination are kind of the same.
1: inspired in a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. Sure.
2: You know, I get inspired by the books I read and the right. books I even uh, reject and, <laughs> right. and all sorts of things. So it's good. I think it's good to have a job inside publishing of some sort. It may not be good if you're doing things like, well, I'm the editor of an accountancy publisher doing textbooks yeah. and now I'm trying to go home and write my great I American knowledge. I think that knowledge. is the case for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So cool. having – Working in the broadly similar field of science mm-hmm. fiction is mm-hmm. good. And I also do anthologies and things like that outside of work. And so I like putting books together. Like this book, The People's Republic like Everything, is some stories in a, 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 a short novel. Yes. And it was like, they, well, I, don't, I can't do a novel every year, but I can do a book every year, and I like compiling things and – my job is a too. job of compilation, so That's I like so it always it, it's the same. It feels like the same project. Oh, Since you like brought that up too. People's Republic, Republic
0: of Everything, yes. tell us a little bit and put a pin in. I want to go back to work habits, mm-hmm. but for now, please. People's Republic of Everything uh, is a book of short stories plus that one, I guess, novelette in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have read about I. I read the short stories, not the novelette. There you go. Um, for time constraints, busy writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. and podcaster. Tell me how it came together, and
2: uh, I don't suspect that the stories are related. Um, there's, a, I guess, a thematic relation mm-hmm. on some They're all about, or most of them are all about politics. And they came together in a couple of ways. A few years ago, well, let's, let's back up even further. My second book was called Under My Roof. It was put out by Soft Skull Press, so not a genre press, but it had a right. genre element to it. Which is about is a basically a modern dress version of Alcanians by Aristophanes. It's about the guy who, in Athens, makes a separate peace with Sparta, and he's doing well while all of Athens falls apart because he's not at war. And then, under my roof, a guy built a nuclear device in his front yard <laughs> and declares independence from the United States. And then, you no. Know, Sounds fantastic. Events occur, <laughs> and it came out right when Soskall was about to go bankrupt. Which is not a good time to have a look out. But lookout. they're still around. They're, well, they were purchased by PGW, oh, I see. transferred out here. Got it. They now exist primarily only as, a, as an imprint. Okay. Uh, literally, the the bottom of a spine, and it doesn't, they don't really have independent uh, uh-huh. and editorial staff at this point. But it was right when they were going bankrupt, um, so it had a kind of a shaky launch. Wasn't really proofread. Oh. It has a very generic cover, which uh, my agent at the time said it was like a memoir of having breast cancer. <laughs> you know, it was just like a cloud and a blue field, and it isn't about anything like that. Um, but it got a couple of good reviews, and it came to the attention of a filmmaker who wanted to make it his first feature film hmm. because it takes place in one house. Yeah, that's So nice. easy to shoot. Cheap. You can shoot it in your house. Cheap right. to do. Yeah. And there was an option. There was versions of the script going back and forth, and Saw skull – you know, was no longer interested in the book, so I got the rights back with the idea being that I can republish this book yeah. when the movie comes out. And they started shooting the Proof movie. Read.
1: Good And cover. they started
2: shooting the movie, then they stopped shooting the movie. Oh, I so but I got the money, but I had this book. And I gave, I gave it to Jacob uh, Wiseman at Tachyon, saying, one day we're going to publish this book. Mm-hmm. Some years go by. Tumbleweeds and crickets. Nothing's <laughs> happening with this project. And I decided I want to put together another collection of stories. Um, I had a, had a couple on past, but I wanted to try to get one with a real publisher that is a publisher that gets books in stores and not yeah. print on demand. Yeah. So I put together my 30 stories or so from the past 10 years that I like the best and sent them to Jacob saying, what do you think? 30 or so. Yeah. Just, just laying around. And he said, I like 10. <laughs> 10 which, of these I like. Which is why you sent 30. That's right. 10's <laughs> good. But why do we put under the, my roof in the back? Yeah. And so 10 plus under my roof. Or 12 plus under my roof. And so Jacob has a... Uh, a bit of a radical streak to him, as I as do I. In fact, uh, I'm wearing my I saw that. Mime Troop shirt today. And whenever I wear this in a science fiction element, all right, equal rights now, yeah. someone says, have you talked to Jacob about that? His father founded the, the Mime Troop. <laughs> uh, so I knew he'd be down. Oh, good to
1: know.
2: And so we went together choosing the stories that finally fit there. And I guess most of them have a political theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, thus, yeah, the, the People's Republic of Everything. Right. Yeah.
1: I like the title. Yeah, thanks.
2: Yeah. Was it my choice?
1: It's good. Yeah, yeah. And...
0: I was going to ask about publishers, but I don't want to ask that yet. Sure. Actually, I wanted to back up. When Mm -hmm. you are –
1: We're both like our heads are spinning.
0: I know, and I'm trying to (laughs) – My 30
1: favorite stories. I'm still
0: there, sort of. I don't think I have 30 stories.
1: (laughs) Oh, I definitely Um, don't.
0: When this is getting optioned, Mm -hmm. and I'm doing the math here, you're in your early 30s, and maybe
2: this is going to be it. Was it a roller coaster? Um, it was kind of the roller coaster at the county fair that doesn't go very high or go very the low. Kids yeah, the, the kids roller coaster, the the Choo Choo Express. Wood. Yeah, exactly.
0: Loud though. Well, and, I mean, but what are your ambitions when you're writing a novel or when you're writing a book of short stories? What is the sky? If the sky is the limit for you, what's the sky?
2: You know, I I really think about that. For a variety of reasons. One, I've had a lot of friends who've made it big for two seconds and then mm-hmm. collapsed. And I – some of my favorite writers are in the independent press and will never be touched by a New York publisher in their lives. Right. And I struggle with this too. I'm, I'm fascinated. But they might
1: have more readers.
2: Yeah. I, I think see, it's very possible. Definitely. Especially over the long term if yeah. they keep producing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think about this a lot. I often spend a lot of nights on Facebook not messaging people I know who used to be famous. Who used to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say, but but how do you keep going? You know, no. you're so oh. excited about this thing after 40 years. How, and yeah. I and I can't do it. I can't I can't come to, to say. But a couple of years ago, I was hanging out with my a friend of mine named Michael Sisko, who is a phenomenal writer and really innovative. And we were having a drink. So I was like, oh, this is my chance. I said, Michael, why do you keep doing this? And he said, I still have something to say. And I said, I'm stealing that. Yeah. I, pretty much <laughs> I steal everything I encounter. So I still have <laughs> that's something artists. to say. That's, that's right. So that's why I – right. And what I've managed to do is build a small audience – By being amusing on social media. Mm -hmm. And so I have that sort of – I've got like a guaranteed floor. So you're
1: amusing on social media? In that case, I want to follow you. Yeah, amusing. (laughs) We could use a little amusing.
0: (laughs) Was that uh, a a, a pointed effort to be amusing on social media or were you going to be amusing regardless and it turned out that's what got you
2: fans? the latter definitely i, I was just going to be a normal blogger using a live journal back 15 years ago like everybody else just scooping around then 911 happened and you start to have to talk about that and be political and you also mm-hmm. had a it was a way to just relieve my own tensions and
1: so you were let living in new york, york
2: then living well jersey city yeah
1: i mean your mm-hmm. story when just the barest outlines of it reminds me of jonathan letham mhm yeah. or Latham, how do you say letham Lethem, yeah. um especially you know starting out with genre mm-hmm. yeah Kind of your interests mm-hmm. and the disappointment artist and the turnpaper yes. paper
2: artist. So, right. do you
1: did you have a kind of self conscious connection to him at all? And it's interesting to me that you know you've really stuck with genre. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I like his stuff, and yeah, I met I him too. one time at Bose Books. That yeah. was great. Uh, I met him twice actually. Um, I gave him one copy of my book once. He's like, "Oh, thanks." And I never heard anything. Never heard back. Crickets, oh. <laughs> <That's laughs> <true. laughs> yeah, crickets, and tumbleweeds as usual. But
1: I really like his yeah. writing, and no, I, like, he's I like how and, he mashes yeah. genre together with. Mm-hmm. I guess something that's more literary.
2: Exactly. And it's interesting because, you know, he was a genre fiction writer until he exactly. wrote a mystery novel. Right. Until he wrote Motherless Brooklyn and it mm-hmm. became so popular that he stopped being genre fiction. So that's even how it stu- happened. Even it the stuff he previously wrote stopped being genre fiction. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. He was rechristened so, yeah.
2: and republished and repackaged and moved to the literary section. Hmm.
1: Mm, so so that you don't think that was a self-conscious choice on his part. It's that the market moved in that direction.
2: Um, I, I can't say. Yeah. yeah who knows? I will say that I have another acquaintance of mine a friend of mine named uh, Jeff Vandermeer who I don't know for exact but I I followed his group pretty closely and we're well acquainted and then he I would say that he's somebody who is writing in genre of fiction writing very not commercial fiction he's not a very commercial writer mm-hmm. but he was very focused on his career he talks about having five year plans and uh, his book book life um and he changed agents, and he has a new agent that got him into FSG mm-hmm. as opposed to, say, tour books, which are both owned by the same company. But when you have a different agent – Well, have FSG to is like
1: the imprimatur of exactly, literary. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So he can write the same thing he was writing before with his uh, Southern Reach trilogy, mm-hmm. which is weird and has characters with no names and has all this uh, biopunk Scientific, extra-dimensional weirdness going on, and now it's literary fiction because it was published by a literary fiction right. imprint right. and represented by a literary fiction agent.
1: Right. Do you right. Think so these things
2: are all, uh, you know, ephemeral and fantasmal. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's it's <laughs> like when we
0: have YA authors in here. And we exactly. Say, How long have you been writing YA? And they say I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's YA? On? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's it's Although
2: something. now we have the second generation who grew up reading YA, and like we definitely are a YA writer. So there mm-hmm. are there are traditions people tap into. That's for sure true.
0: I mean, do you think that the literary world is more amenable? It seems to me the literary mm-hmm. world is more amenable I to genre so fiction. Too. I mean, you got guys like Michael Chabon mm-hmm. after you know doing the other turn, going, "No, I'm going to write genre fiction." Yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like the line's getting more blurry. But you mentioned a couple times um, the idea of New York publishers versus right. other publishers, mm-hmm. and going through your your list of published books, I did notice a lot of publishers. Yes, is that <laughs> sort of par for the course? Is that how that works?
2: Yeah, especially uh, and. In the 2000s with conglomeratization and, uh, and the big crisis of 10 years ago, which, you know, had massive impacts. I finished a novel. My MFA thesis was a novel called Sensation. And it was 2008. And I had my agency. We're going to – this is going to be great. We're going to send this out. We weren't even getting rejection letters. We were getting – this imprint is now closed letters. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> These editors are not only my work here letters. Yeah. Yeah. And so I finally published it with PM Press, a local Oakland publisher of anarchist uh, material. Really? Yeah. And so I met my publisher in his living room, and we signed a contract in his living room, and I, w- I went to get my author copies in his living room, and I stepped on his kid's toy going down the steps. So and that let me kind ask you this.
1: What in, – now in 2018, yes. given all that's available to indie
2: mm-hmm.
1: publishers or yes. indie authors, what's better? Is it better to go with the local anarchist who's like a real press, quote-unquote real press, Mm -hmm. or is it better to do it yourself? You have a big social media following. You already have Mm built-in readers.
2: You seem like a prime candidate to go indie. Yes and no because the indie – well, there are two things. One, on the personal level, I do this for my day job already. Mm -hmm. I don't want more of that. Mm. Sure. I know I can find a cover artist. I know copy editors. I can make it happen. I can make it like really good, but that would be extremely exhausting. More money though. Maybe. Although, although so also also yeah. more money to expend. Well, that's true yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah, in the first yeah, place, that's true too. Um, and,
0: but how much support do you get from these smaller publishers, as far as marketing and? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, there there. Well, the, can you the the first question? Indie works best for less good versions of commercial fiction. Mm-hmm. So if you want two no, if two novels a year frightens you, if you're an independent writer right. you're doing four novels a year right oh, right right. Yeah. right and a novella and a giveaway and a couple of short stories and you're oh. never get to just be amusing on social media because you have right. to keep selling never. and you don't want to offend anybody because it might get out that you have politics or that you don't right. like right. american idol or whatever and you're doomed <laughs> maybe you don't like cats right. yeah i problem. think if you don't like american idol you yeah. probably aren't losing much of your yeah. life. i've never <laughs> seen it
0: well, let's not go there
2: i love it yeah I don't. Know. but uh so to be indie, you really have to, you know, spend all your time right. doing it. You have to right. become a publisher and spend a lot of time manipulating the prices of your books and changing their covers and –
0: And it's oh, funny well, because everyone else. It sounds like you probably could be a publisher if you wanted to be.
2: Exactly. But I, do, don't want I do not want to be.
0: Yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, it sounds like these publishers approach you. Now, how does that work with having an agent if publishers approach you to do a project?
2: Well, you know, my agents haven't done much. I actually got really? a new agent okay. recently trying to have one that can do a bit more for me. Uh, and but even independent presses, you know, that are that can get into bookstores, that, that, mm-hmm. that is, they have an agreement with some some job or distributor, Jobber is like the you know, mm-hmm. independent distributing house um, that has a sales staff, that has a catalog, can still get you into stores. But you can still sell a lot of copies. And a big publisher doesn't necessarily sell a lot of copies. That you have a higher possibility of a higher upside. You can sell many more copies, but you can also sell almost nothing. Thanks to oh, my day job, I've accessed to certain certain number metrics. Oh, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Metrics.
2: And I've, as a hobby, <laughs> check out my enemies, basically. Let's put it that way. <laughs> check out my enemies. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you that some of – I know people who have small press books out that have sold thousands and thousands of copies. Right. And I know people who have had large press books out. From a Macmillan or from a hashtag oh, yes. that have sold a couple hundred copies.
1: Absolutely. I, that is not yeah. unusual at all. I also yeah. want to say, and this may be a place to bongo, I don't know, but mm-hmm. my experience with either your publicist or editor mm-hmm. was that um, he was much more proactive than most that we yeah, do with yeah. from major houses.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he responds to emails. Yeah. Yes,
1: and he, In my world
0: right now, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's your gold. Yes. <laughs>
1: but to me, that says someone who is serious about making something happen.
2: That's right, yeah.
1: And that's not always the case. I mean, you're mm-hmm. dealing with publicists supposedly, but they're not really on the ball a lot of the time. Sometimes yeah. they're fantastic, but...
2: Or, they're, or their orders are, well, we have two big books, you take care of these two big authors, and yeah. everybody else gets an right. arc and a mailing yeah. and maybe yeah. forward an email and you have 50 authors, and you, you have to make your choices. Yeah, of course. But if you have seven authors, right. including one who lives four blocks away, who's if you don't do anything, it's going to knock on the door and hey, we're trying to sell <laughs> some books here. You're going to be more <laughs> do proactive. Do something, please, right? yeah. It yeah.
0: sounds a lot like the music industry or yeah, how yeah, it used it to be. I, sure, I don't think it's that way anymore.
2: No, it's far more toward probably, SoundCloud and yeah, doing it yourself. Right. But, but it always was, happen. right? Even though they put a lot of money into big acts. But it always but seemed they, like that, those acts owed that publisher, that, that label right. money, right? But right. I was
0: thinking the smaller acts mm-hmm. who somehow would get signed by a major label yeah. and right. think, oh, we're going to be rich. I and know. then and you know, six months later, driving a bread happened. truck, yeah. yeah. they exactly. quietly dropped because <laughs> yes. yeah. they got no support. Mm-hmm. Um, so what uh, – we've sort of been dancing around this a little bit, but I want to get to it. So what is your process, your writing process? Do you work all day, come back, bang out 5,000 words, boom, done? Watch American Idol go to sleep? Yeah. It changed when I got a kid. Oh.
2: In the old days, it, it was definitely – It does. It does. Think of some ideas, get on the verge of sleep, open up the thing, and I could write a short story in a sitting, mm-hmm. and then tinker with it a little bit, not revise it Wow. Uh, fundamentally. But yeah. just make sure that things make sense. I'm a to put her in or not a take her out her.
0: Really? And so I tend to
2: write short, like, oh, it's 2,000 words. This is great. Then my friend would read and say, what's actually happening here? Oh, <laughs> who it needs, is this person? I need another word to explain what, <laughs> that, what's in my head oh, I'm for exactly everybody else. i wish
1: I was like that. that was so
2: good. And so my stories also tend to be short. Mm-hmm. I don't write often 5,000, 7,000, 10,000 words. Stories are, you know, between 2,500 and 4,500 is my uh, sweet spot. So I can do those in a sitting over the course of a night, thanks to, say, term paper training. Okay. Having a concept <laughs> and having a relatively short arc in the first place um after having the kid things were very disrupted for a variety of reasons how old is the kid Twelve. he is now four and a half okay oh, uh, so he'll yeah. let you know uh, and so it's been slower since then yes and i also used to write novels the same way not in one sitting but i'd write them as say 10 short stories mm-hmm. okay they take like, several seconds after each other with the same characters how? so they tend to be episodic and picaresque mm-hmm. which is also not in the strict genre mode of having to have a a movie like Ray Triangle. I'm, I'm drawing a triangle on the radio with my finger, but yeah. you can't see this, but it's a triangle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It was more like I'll a pyramid. For that. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. Um, that's interesting that you wrote the, you wrote the novels as, as ten short stories kind yeah. of bonded together because I was going to ask, mm-hmm. you know, how hard it is to tackle the structure of a novel when you're a short story writer.
2: Really hard, as it turns out. Really hard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Maybe it's not for me, but I keep doing it. Yeah. Do you outline or anything? No, no. You just go. Wow. Yeah, I'm definitely a pantser.
1: So you so you have an idea. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, what was the one Jack Kerouac
2: meets? Uh, a Lovecraftian environment, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and then you come up with incidents, mm-hmm. things that are going to happen.
2: Then I tie them together. Then I hit the end. Then I realize the ending is in, inadequate. Right. And then I write one more ending after that first ending. Okay. And well, the,
0: are, your, are your 10 short stories chapters? More or less, yeah. yeah but they what's
1: they the through line through mm-hmm. them? Just incidents? Often
2: journeys. Okay. I have a couple of my books now that Wackers I think about well. it are, are journeys or failed journeys. So uh-huh. uh, Move Underground, my first book is From California to New York, and this is reversing on the road. Um, Under My Roof, they can't go anywhere. They're in a the house. <clears throat> and so people come to them. Um, Love is the Law, which is that crime novel I mentioned that was started off as a joke. The joke being, hey, what if uh, Harriet the Spy was a punk rocker in the 80s? She was. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and she can't leave Long Island either for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Oh, my God. I have yeah. to read that one. That sounds really good. And uh, I Am Providence is basically an Agatha Christie sort of matter. Hard. matter up about a Lovecraft convention where someone has been killed. It's been me. I've been killed. And everyone's a suspect because oh, everybody hates me. But you made yourself Armenian. Yeah, instead of Greek. Yeah. That's, 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 that's called literary. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Make People a little like change. Little, we can't tell it's That's them. right. Who, this guy's <laughs> Armenian. Who else is that? that? can't be him. He's also alive. Another <laughs> subtle difference. Yeah.
0: What's the the editing process uh, for these novels? If someone comes to you with an idea and you write it, Mm -hmm. and then you give it back to them, then what happens?
2: Uh, Usually they say they will have a few changes here and there. Um, I did have have a struggle with my most recent novel, which will be out with a bigger publisher. And uh, it's been sort of a... Shall we talk? No, I yeah, well, I was going to say. Yeah. So, so the novel might be called Hexen Sabbath, which is not my title, but it's actually the title I prefer to some other title. And it's about a 10th century knight or 11th century knight, sorry, who gets plucked out of the uh, Battle of Asundon and brought to contemporary Manhattan to cut off the head of the seven deadly sins who have personified themselves. <laughs> and uh, it is a concept created inside Macmillan by a a group called McMillan Entertainment. Oh, yeah, I know about this. And they sort of generate ideas for movies. Yeah. And the idea to sell them, you can't really sell a concept or treatment to a film anymore to a studio or a producer. So if you create a book, it's easy to to act like it's a real idea. So they hired me to do this. And it was a long struggle to get hired for a variety of reasons. And I was given the remit of make this as dark as possible. I'll bet. uh, Which is weird because they didn't want that at all, as it turns out. Because well, I would Your that,
1: idea in dark in there. I did, yeah, well, as
2: somebody who grew up in the 80s and read a lot of what they used to call splatterpunk novels, yeah. I had a very strong idea of what as dark as possible meant.
1: Yeah. And
2: he's like, this guy just keeps killing everyone he meets. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a weird sex, sex criminal and he's, he's awful. He's a 10th century
1: knight. He's an 11th century knight who, oh, century. Is, a,
2: who is immune so. from the seven deadly sins powers because he's such a sinner himself. Oh, nice. But don't make him be bad. Was basically the second because he doesn't
1: like to be t- told can't. to do Oh, <laughs> that's right. Right. So, you can't sell so, that. Right? Oh my that's god! That's right. So I wrote this know.
2: horrifying horror novel, essentially, and they said, "Oh, it's got to be like a PG 13 So I spent you know one week sort of pulling out all the all, all the awful the things.
1: The thing is, the know there were a lot of a little minor scared. things too.
2: Like I had a character uh, order wine delivered and then not leave a tip for the delivery person. And he's like, "You
1: can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, that's, because that shows how evil he is.
2: It was even somebody else. It was a, it was a human <laughs> being who was really upset about the about the events that she was oh. experiencing and she's also out of money entirely, except for this, you know, little gift to herself of wine and he was just the editor was like, You can't you can't write because this. Because, People because will it will turn little our- yeah, yeah, Exactly. Because a
0: little bit
1: Wow.
2: So it was, that was a pretty intense uh, re-editing and argumentative period. Because I was like, you know, one, they gave me a synopsis. that so was full of coincidences because it's the, the right. night going from sin to sin. And they'll killing one and it's finding, oh, and here's the all-you-can-eat buffet that, that uh, gluttony rhymes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I wrote them that, I, feel like I eight- wrote that and then they said, but there are so many coincidences in this. I'm like, well, yes, because that's the, rem- that's the blueprint you gave me. So I had to sort of fix all that a little bit, then uh, sanitize it. Then the editor resigns, <laughs> yeah. And then I'm given to the sales force, and they say, um, "We're not sure what Hexen means."
1: <laughs> really? They and we don't. don't th- and
2: we don't think people would know what Hexen means. And my okay. response is, "Well, maybe." Do they know what a hex is? Well, sure, sure. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> everybody knows what Hexen means. <laughs> right. But there's always that concern: can we can we find a better title? Uh huh. And so I gave them some ideas for titles. I did not like as much. And I found I went to. Uh, a heavy metal database of heavy metal bands, and show like you know there are 15 bands named either Hexen or Hexen or Hexenhammer or Hexen whatever Hexenfrau exactly that are combined. The audience for this book is obviously the kids who are wearing Iron Maiden T-shirts, drinking slushies at the Seven Eleven, smoking pot with their you know Conan the Barbarian paperback in the back seat of their father's Chevy. This is our crowd. They know what Hexin means. You have a very very developed idea of what that crowd is. That's right. Is that always your crowd? No, no. This is a new crowd. This is 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 the new crowd. This is an adjacent crowd to my previous crowd, but this Mm -hmm. is like the new crowd.
0: When you you, uh, are approached with an assignment like this... Do you suspect uh, – did you suspect that this is how it was going to go? And if if you – I'm assuming you didn't suspect this is I how I was surprised. It, I was definitely surprised. Would you have thought twice about it had you
2: known? I spent a couple of years thinking twice about it because it took that long to get the contracts all set up. And I started mm-hmm. writing another novel for myself mm-hmm. and then I had to stop. It's like, oh, it's going to start any mm-hmm. day now. I've got to put this away and start Hex and Sabbath. And that went on for over a year. So I actually spent a lot of time kicking myself, saying, oh, I could have finished my other novel that right. I'm working mm-hmm. on now. right. Um, but now, but that what and stuff was great because it taught me how to, how to write a novel with that kind of Freytag's triangle arc right. relatively quickly. And so I finished that novel on December 23rd, took the week off. January 3rd, I started my next novel. Wow. <laughs> and that's poking along. It's about 40,000 words. And it's been, it's been, there have been delays and stuff for a variety of reasons. But uh, 40,000 words in six months. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, 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 I'm still like back on this whole thing with the... 11th century night yes because the funny thing about it having this now this kind of traditional plot arc is Mm -hmm. that that's exactly how medieval you were the perfect writer of like medieval Medieval literature right where nothing there is no plot really Mm -hmm. they just go from like thing adventure Mm -hmm. to adventure like I would like that more Mm -hmm. as a reader
2: Well, there's, there's, there's a part of that. that he can fetch every sin individually. And yeah. There's a conspiracy within the sins and that sort of thing. So that'll be out that in <laughs> late 2019 <laughs> and, and under idea, some title. And, and the like
0: idea it. is that it eventually gets taken to movie studios and they say, we've got this idea.
2: But does it say we've got this idea, say, got this idea written by anonymous writer? Oh, no, it's mm-hmm. by, it'll be under my byline. Okay. Uh, but it just, it just makes the idea seem more readable. Because you can give somebody eight pages of anything, and if you have thousands right. of eight-page concepts, you have no idea how to pick. But you can tell from a we novel. We say we've
0: got a log line, but we've also got a complete story.
2: Exactly, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I helped out. I was, you know, have the, someone say, well, this guy looks a little bit like, like Jack Black, You know, trying to, trying to oh, cast him. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> That's very smart. Yeah. Oh, I like Jack Black.
2: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> so now with all the demands on you, mm-hmm. if you have a block of time to write, what do you work on?
2: Currently, I'm working on a novel called uh, We Never Sleep, which is actually uh, based on a novelette, a longer story, inside the People's Republic of Everything. Mm-hmm. It's and I'm not trying based to,
1: on parenthood. No, uh. it's,
2: it's the Pinkertons. It's the Pinkertons <laughs> and like a
0: – Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: An alternative history where Rudolf Diesel, the inventor diesel engine, does not die. Oh. Um, he In real life, he, he vanishes off a boat. Uh and there's some conspiracy that he was thrown off for a variety of reasons or he just threw himself off because he, he was not a good business person and was upset or he just fell off. And so in mine, he survives and has more advanced technology and World War I goes very easily because of this. Cause, and, uh, What's your notebook must look like?
1: I know. I don't
2: keep one. Really? I really well, don't keep where one. Where do yes. you write
1: these,
0: uh, these these ideas down? I
2: compose them. I'm like, oh, here's an idea. And, I'll, here's, and you start it. writing it And right I start away. writing it, yeah, exactly. Huh. And then I'll take a That's day off and awesome. think, now what would they do? And and I spent a lot of time going back saying... Wait, you take a day off of work? Oh, no, of writing. Oh, right, so basically yeah. I write a day, take off a day, write a day, take off a day. Oh, God. So you're yeah.
1: inventing, putting it down. Yeah. Inventing. Yeah. Reflection, composition.
0: Reflection, composition. Yeah. And is this That's a common theme? It seems like a theme you like to explore, what ifs.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, what would have happened if? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm a history buff mm-hmm. and uh, I like historical fiction in general and I always loved alternative history. Is one of my favorite writers mm-hmm. as a kid was Howard Waldrop, who would do these great things. He would, he would take a an obvious idea, like what if the Nazis had won a war, uh, and instead of making it about Hitler taking over, making it about uh, a small theater with the Marx Brothers and Zero Mostel still putting on Yiddish language, uh, you know, productions and that kind of thing.
1: Oh, that sounds fantastic! Yeah. Say the name of the writer again. Howard
2: Waldrop. I do W A. Not the Man in the High Castle. That's right. No, no. no. something different. Yeah.
0: Um, shoot. What was I going to say? I totally forgot because I started thinking, what's the name of that? Oh, yeah, Manor
2: yeah, High Castle. Yeah, Phil K. Dick. That's where Haikosuro comes from. Castle is a, a way a Japanese person might pronounce the English words High Castle.
1: No hmm. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. The
2: idea being that we're a Japanese company. We're taking over California the same yeah. way happened happens in the book. Yeah. Oh.
1: How
2: about that? Yeah. That wasn't me. That was it. my I boss, Masumi Washington, like that, though. thought of that. Uh, we well, don't proper. have
1: much time
0: left, but I do want to wedge in a little bit about some of the nonfiction that you work on. Because mm-hmm. I know it can be quite different from the fiction. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you do that as a break from fiction or is it the other way around or you just like exploring?
2: I used to want to be a full-time essayist and reporter and feature writer and that kind of thing. What stopped you? Yeah. Um, the end of magazines. mm mm-hmm. I started writing in the 90s back when you could still get 50 cents a word and a dollar a word. Um, I write for business magazines, for tech magazines, um, I worked for the Village Voice, fourteen, fifteen features there. Um, a couple other alternative weekly newspapers and uh, essayistic things and early webzines. And the triple punch of one: the April two thousand one economic collapse, mm. followed by nine eleven, which let everybody in New York say, "Oh, all our checks were in the World Trade Center. Yeah. Sorry, we're going out of business." And anyone who's around like, "Well, we can only write about nine eleven. We don't want to hear right. about anything else other right. than nine right. eleven, or right. about the war, or whatnot." And I try to write a couple of anti-war pieces, and those were, oh, we, we're, there's no such thing as an anti-war movement anymore.
1: All right.
2: right. Even the uh, official anti-war movement, uh, which had that slogan of uh, justice, not vengeance, was a fundamentally a pro-war concept. So critiquing that from the left was impossible. And of course, uh, Nader, you know, made anything else for the Democrats uh, yep. hard to write about as well, even for supposed left magazines and left publications. And then the internet happened. And as it turns out, when well, you know, where your ad dollars go, well, partially <laughs> free content, partially – we finally figured out that ads don't actually sell anything because right. mm-hmm. people don't click on them. Right, right. And so the prices dropped immensely.
1: I have yeah. said this for decades,
2: Yeah,
1: that advertising doesn't work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tend to agree.
1: Yeah. I never know what ads are for.
2: Yeah. Well, the old saying was well, you no, only, we on. only know half of our ads work, right. but we don't know which half they are. Right, right. so we'll just use them all. Right. Yeah. And so now that we have – uh, the metrics to click through and see right. what so you we know, can exactly. see that actually it's not 50 percent it's about four and a half percent yeah that makes total sense so, so ad revenues plummeted and there was no way to there was there was at some time no way to monetize uh, the web people were just doing it as hobbies or as loss leaders or burning through thousands and millions of dollars and so it became very difficult but fiction especially short fiction was still viable viable in quotes uh, wow, that's because shocker. in science fiction fantasy and horror oh. you have a organized fandom Mm-hmm. And the way to get love and organized fandom is to hand out money, mm-hmm. or, or or you can be a nice person. So handing out money is much mm-hmm. easier. I know it's hard. So once your grandmother drops dead, you start a magazine, and then suddenly your <laughs> opinion is important, right? Because you're an editor, right? You know who died of made you an editor? Grandma did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I was able to you know make a semblance of a rent check here and there or a phone bill here and there by writing short fiction. So it really That's feels amazing. like you
0: you make very practical decisions. Yes. Yeah. They are based Except
2: on, that they're all based on being a writer, which is the most impractical thing in the world. Right. Yeah. Inside of that <laughs> yes. first impractical decision. Exactly. You're driven by practical. Yeah. Yeah. Once you've made the one bad position. decision, you can only make good decisions afterwards. Otherwise, you're really screwed. Yeah.
0: yeah. That explains
2: it. Yeah. We
0: are out of time. So which Nick,
1: is good because we might die otherwise. It's real
0: yeah. hot in here. <laughs> Nick, uh, tell everyone where they can find your amusing social media posts and your uh, website and everything.
2: Well, my website is nick-mamadas.com. Because and- somebody else stole NickMamatas.com and Mamatas.com and Mamatas.net. So Nick-Mamatas.com. Oh, I'm with you, man. And it's
0: spelled just a- like it sounds.
2: That's right. N-I-C-K-M-A-M-A like mama, T is Thomas, A-S. All the vowels are A's. This is what help the telemarketers all the time in Comcast, you know. <laughs> so I got it down to a science. Uh, my Twitter is @mamatas. NMamatas. And my Facebook is not for you, so Oh,
1: look yeah. oh, at that. Yeah. So that. you don't use Facebook as your...
2: I use, I use Facebook for my 3,000 closest friends.
1: Got it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I would like 3,000 close friends. Yeah.
2: Uh, what say you, BQ?
1: You know what I say? I say that we want to thank our producers, Beth Weingarner, who I think would really enjoy Hex and Sabbath.
0: Yeah, I think she'll be wanting to listen to this episode yes. for sure. Um,
1: and Lee Kravitz and Lori Ann Doyle, and also Sugar Town for the music, and our partners...
0: The San Francisco Public Library on July 24th. And I do believe this will be yes. posted before that. Yes, uh, join us
1: time,
0: with world-famous poet Matthew Zapruder as he discusses his good. favorite book at 6 p.m. at the San Francisco
2: What is Public his favorite book? We can't say. Oh, can't say. Yes. Uh-uh. San Francisco Public
0: Library main branch. Right. Uh, our other partner is Babylon Salon.
1: San Francisco's premier literary series, and you can find out about their next reading at babylonsalon.com. I know Tommy Orange will be there, so I'll be there Oh my there God, too. I cannot wait. I cannot. cannot wait. Have you read it yet? No. There, 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 no. there. <laughs> Can't wait to read it. I was talking about it last night at the Giants.
0: I already <laughs> snuck in how you can email and Twitter I Did you notice that?
1: I did. You could repeat it though.
0: Uh, GrottoPod at gmail.com, Twitter the gr- at the GrottoPod, Instagram, same thing, at the Grottopod. I know the guy who runs that. He's Instagram pretty cool. is
1: pretty good. You guys need to yeah, follow that. And awesome you can also family. follow me on Twitter and Instagram at bequintrest.
0: And you can follow me at that Larry Rosen. And remember, if you can't get enough of me, listen to my other podcast, Is It Good for the Jews? Available at yeah. IsItGoodForTheJews.com. And now – Well, is it? Uh, this – I'll decide later. Okay. Well, But first, life has to <laughs> imitate art as I take a picture of you two. Oh. um, uh, Yes. That was Instagram and Action Friends. We are so Can I tell
1: people what to do?
0: Do you mean to end everything? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say we're before we dissolve into puddles of sweat, Bridget has one more
1: thing to say. I wanna say that you guys, you have got to be like Nick. Read, write, and just keep working.